You're listening to the Brookside Church Sermon Podcast. We're a progressive and inclusive community of faith in the heart of Morris County, New Jersey, reminding everyone that they are the beloved child of God. For more information, visit us online at brooksidechurch.org. Thanks, Jen. Our uh, second reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 1, and I, I think that most of you probably know something from Genesis 1. Uh, but skipping over most of the first chapter, I'm just going to move right to the end. So this is Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. An image of God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This is the word of our still speaking God. Thanks be to God. I know it's a little bit hot, uh, but I appreciate everybody being here. Um, and I appreciate being able to be here to share. Uh, really, I'm not speaking on behalf of Brookside so much as I'm just speaking on behalf of myself today. And uh, I'm hoping to share with you something really central core to my own theological convictions. Um, and it may be new to many of you, so if it is, uh, just know that I'm not uh, trying to uh, uh, speak above you as if I have more information or more knowledge than you, but I want to speak alongside you. So for all of the folks from Brookside Church, let me just say a word of thanks to Reverend Byrne <laughs> and uh, for inviting us and for Jen and O'Neill. Um, you know, some of you have met Jen already. They are the ones who are working with uh, Stanley, and so they've organized this, so thank you for that. So it's good to be here alongside you. So now I want to ask you to turn around to your neighbor and maybe touch them or shake their hand or, or smack them or something gently and say, it's glad to be alongside you. I'm glad to be alongside you. It's good to be with you. All right, so there are, if you didn't know this, there are about 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And it's amazing when you think about it that the Milky Way isn't even very big. And every star has approximately an average of 1.6 planets. So if you do a little bit of arithmetic, that's about 650 billion planets. And the Earth is home to roughly about 2 billion species of life. The Earth, just this one of the 650 billion planets uh, that's in our Milky Way. So the Earth is home to about 2 billion species and some 70 per, or to 90% of those are actually bacteria. And there might be a total of about 40 million insect species, and yet our science is just in its infancy because every year we're still discovering some 10,000 species. To date, only about 1.5 million species have been described. So 400 billion stars, 650 billion planets, 2 billion species, and we, of, of life, and we're still only describing some of them. 
less than 1% of the ones that we've described are bacteria. And of those 2 billion species, or 1.5 million species that we've named, almost 60,000 are vertebrates, 5,000 are mammals, 350 are primates, and only one of them are human beings. While the universe has been around for 13.772 billion years, 13.772 billion years, we Homo sapiens have only been around for some 300,000 years. Now, if my middle school math days served me well, 13.772 billion minus 300,000 is actually still 13.772 billion. In other words, we've not been around long enough for our history to even make a, a smidgen, right? Those significant digit issues, right? Despite the evidence to the contrary, many of us have been taught to think of our place in the world with an outrageous and unjust logic. That the universe is ours and it exists for the taking. But this logic, see, doesn't even, doesn't just stop with what I just described, with it, which is called anthropocentrism. Let's follow this logic down a little bit further, if we will. Of those 7.6 billion human beings on our planet, how many have access to clean water, to health care, to quality education, to a living wage, and so on and so forth? A little more than half of those are men. And those 3.8 billion men, how many of them are white, cisgender, heterosexual, Christian, American? All of these characteristics are the things that I personally share with the most of our national leaders. Almost all, almost all but one, of our past presidents and the current president as well, I might add. And the richest man on the face of the earth. So I find it curious and scary, maybe even preposterous, if I can say it, to believe that such a small portion of the world's population has has believed for so long that the world was made for them. But let's not be naive. Most of us humans think the same way about our relationship to creation. See, domination comes in many forms. This unjust logic of ours, the way that we have modeled our society, our understanding of the meaning of life, the way human beings have perceived themselves in relation to the rest of creation, or at least the last 400 years, that's almost entirely shaped our way of life. It's hard to disagree with the liberation theologian Leonardo Boff when he described the modern human being. Most of us live, he said, as if the most important thing in life is to accumulate vast amounts of the means of life, material wealth, goods, and services, in order to enjoy our short journey on this planet. In achieving this purpose, we're aided by science, which comprehends how the earth functions, and technology, which acts upon it for human benefit. And this is to be done as speedily as possible. Hence, we strive for the maximization of profit with the minimum investment in the shortest possible period of time. And in this type of cultural practice, human beings are regarded as above things, making use of them for our own enjoyment never alongside things, members of a large planetary and cosmic community. The ultimate result 
which is only now becoming strikingly visible, is contained in an expression attributed to Gandhi. The earth is sufficient for everyone's need, but not for everyone's greed. In other words, our basic model for relating with each other, how we know what life is about, is, could be called domination. When we see ourselves as being above, rather alongside, we operate within a framework, a logic of domination. At Brookside Church, we've been wrestling lately with our ability to actually own up to the fact that the Bible has been used for most of Christian history to justify violence. When it comes to our interpretation of the world, our relationship with creation, the way that we think about salvation, and how we understand what it means to follow Jesus, the Bible can be both helpful and problematic. Last week, I pointed out how the Gospels portray Jesus as actually skipping over some of the problematic passages when he read from the Isaiah scroll in the synagogue. That way of reading scripture is commonly known as cherry-picking. But I asked us to consider thinking about it differently. I used the phrase, avoiding landmines. I argued that if we are not careful with the way that we read scripture, we'll find that the body of Christ actually may lose body parts. And what we're finding in our relationship to creation is that creation is constantly dying. More species are being extinct, and we know that our time on this planet may be indeed short. This morning, I want to draw your attention to a specific biblical landmine in relationship to our understanding of creation. This is one of the most commonly referenced passages when it comes to creation, justice, and the role of Christianity in the world. Genesis chapter 1. It's not so much actually the entire passage that's in question, or even a verse, it's actually just one word, dominion. This entire chapter, see, is a beautiful and poetic description of God's relationship to creation. That's why it's unfortunate that when we read with the intent of asking our, what our relationship to creation should be, Christians tend to narrow in on this one word, dominion. As this uh, specific, and this is specifically true when you talk about the relationship between human beings and non-human animals. God said, let's make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. Dominion? Didn't God set human beings over creation? Didn't God give people dominion over animals? And doesn't that mean we can kill them? Eat them, wear them, cage them, experiment with them. I mean, fill in the blank, right? Well, first off, the word dominion is repeated twice. That must mean it's important. It must have been important to the scribes or the, the scribe that used it when they put this passage together. But that shouldn't trump, I mean, if we know how to read, that shouldn't trump the rest of the passage, the whole rest of the chapter where it's described. Because creation is, at every step of the way, described as good. God declared those things to be good, especially animal life, even before human beings existed, you see. God, human beings didn't need to exist for God to declare them good. And the fact that God declared them good before human beings existed implies that they are valuable in their own right. That God delights in them. 
As one Jewish scholar, Roberta Kolechinov, uh, Kolechinovsky, points out, the substa- uh, this substantiates the view that animals were regarded as an integral subject in and of their own right, that God expresses delight in these creatures, and that doesn't reflect a God who created animal life to be in bondage. Carol Adams, arguably one of the most important feminist writers today, wrote a book called The Sexual Politics of Meat. I'm not going to be quoting from that. I'm actually going to be quoting from an essay that she wrote, and I would love to share some of it with you this morning. She says, The more that the word dominion is broken away from the context of the poem of beloved relationship in Genesis 1, the more likely it is that what we are actually defending is a broken relationship between humans and other animals and the world we inhabit. Even more, what's interesting is that while the word word rada, which we translate as dominion, is mentioned twice here, in the very following verse from chapter 20, verse 28 where it's mentioned, verse 29, this is what it reads. God says, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed and that is a, that's upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. God created human beings. God said, you can have dominion over them. And then God said, and I've given you all the seed-bearing plants and all the trees, and you can use those for food. In other words, whatever dominion human beings have been granted over animals, it doesn't involve eating them. Even more, if we're going to be using this passage to understand our relationship to creation, we should at least be constrained by the first and foremost reference repeated over and over the fact that God took delight in the creation that God made. And God said it was good. I mean, think about it. It's good. So we're justified in separating a a baby calf from its mother so we can have her milk. It's good. So we must be okay. It must be okay for us to break off the beaks of chicks. It's good so we can feel innocent when we pay someone to rip into their flesh in order to prepare our dinner, knowing that most of us would refuse to spill their blood if we had to do it ourselves. It's good, we think, because it's good for human beings. See, that's the logic of domination. If dominion doesn't mean domination, well, what does it mean then? Well, I could go through lots of different passages and lots of different scholarly readings with you, uh, but I'm not going to do that. That would be getting a little bit too in the weeds this morning. Instead, I'm going to go back to Carol Adams. I'm going to quote to you what she says. It's been said that if kings and queens exercise dominion over their subjects the way that human beings do over other animals, kings and queens would have no subjects. So why is being in God's image often interpreted in view of power, manipulation, hegemony, instead of compassion, mercy, and emptying unconditional love. See, we often anthropomorphize God as powerful, fierce, and angry, if not belligerent. And when we're lording over others using power, it's then that we're most like, likely to assert God's image. But acts of unconditional love Suspensions of judgment, mercy for the weak, kindness to animals, all that gets interpreted and associated with wishy-washy pictures of maybe this 
sandal-wearing hippie Jesus who rarely has anything to do with the God who created the universe. See, here I think we get to the heart of the matter. See, most of us have had our imagination of God shaped more by this logic of domination than anything that has to do with anything of the teachings of Jesus. See, the Christian God, as often taught by some Christians, is actually a God of domination. He, and this God is always a he, could more easily be confused with the violent war gods of the Greeks and the Romans than with anything that has to do with the teachings of Jesus. What if we approach the question Christologically? What if we come at it from the other direction? What if we decided to ask what dominion might look like, what our relationship to creation and non-human animals might look like if we begin our thinking about God and humanity and our relationship with creation by starting to learn from Jesus? I think the central impulse at the heart of Jesus' teaching was the proclamation of the reign of God. This is what Walter Wink called God's domination free order. I know some of you have listened to me over and over. You've heard me say this phrase. It's the creation of a new community, a new citizenship based on shared commitment to doing the will of God. See, this is what many of us has been, have begun calling the beloved community or the kingdom. Notice I left the G out there. Kingdom. A kingdom is a phrase, I think, that helps us point to the truth at the heart of Jesus' teachings. This challenge not to see ourselves as above creation, but alongside it as kindred earthlings. For our followers of Jesus, see this kingdom teaching, it consisted of a twofold commitment. One to nonviolence and the other to undoing the logic of domination. Walter Wink called this the domination system. He said that the domination system is an encompassing system characterized by unjust economic relations oppressive political relations, patriarchal gender relations, prejudiced racial or ethnic relations, hierarchical power relations, and the use of violence to maintain all of that. So understood in this way, Jesus' ministry was a radical critique of the logic of domination, aimed at bringing healing to creation by calling people to repentance and helping them discover what it means to be fully human. So the central teaching of the church is based on the idea of incarnation, right? Jesus was the incarnation of God. Somehow Jesus, in Jesus, God was revealed not to be above creation, but alongside creation. So then the central quest of the church for communities of faith today is for us to recover ourselves, recover for ourselves that impulse that Jesus unleashed, that original impulse at the heart of Jesus' teachings, that was aimed to undo an old order of domination and begin by bringing about a new order of life and freedom, of mutual care and love and kindness, even if it is based on a hippie Jesus. But only then, I think, can the church actually have the courage and the bold audacity to say that we know what we need in order to bring about positive change for people and actually save creation. We're not just saving creation from ourselves, from this logic of domination. So here's my prayer. I pray that this becomes our quest. That we hear the voice of our still speaking God to take up the call. To learn to stand alongside creation as kindred earthlings. Following Jesus 
to undo the logic of domination. Amen.